we singing this song? Oh yeah, girl. <sighs> what's going on with dance and stuff? What's happening with dance and things? What's going on? What's happening? What's going on with dance and stuff? All right. <laughs> it gets a little more forced yeah, really and pitchy each time. It's all right. I'm exhausted today. We're in Anthony's apartment. It's so beautiful. We're going to bring him on in just a moment. But first of all, go ahead. I, you love to eat while we're talking and fart and all and burp There's and all these all beautiful foods yeah, and we'll, teacups We'll do it us. when we take a break. Okay. We don't need to ASMR munching during it. I know you don't it. like it. But remember, really... Barbara Streisand did it through that whole interview. She did, but it was soup. Miso soup. Uh, yeah. Can you imagine is, if I was eating miso soup, you'd be furious. I probably would be. Okay. I pro- but not as furious as like... Crickety crack crack. <laughs> yeah. Crack, or like nuts. Like How was your Thanksgiving? Well, I went... I went to my mom's. Uh-huh. And her friend... Oh, no. She picked us up from the train station. It was like 11 p.m. We went home. Her friend Daniele is staying upstairs... And what did we do? It was kind of straight to bed. Oh, no, we watched um, the end of the Royal Tenenbaums. Uh-huh. Actually, we went in the kitchen, and there was all these kind of, uh, as you know, various yeah. foods and dishes with yeah. other dishes on top. Steamed broccoli. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> was that not, one of them? Not in the That's refrigerator. Good. Nothing in the no, refrigerator. No, well, she kind no. of lives for things. As she said, a little bit of mold is good right. for you. She pulls off a, ba- a bag from on top of the refrigerator. She's mm-hmm. like, oh, there's things in here, mm-hmm. all these cheeses. I was like, you should put oh. those in the fridge. She's <laughs> like, it's fine. So then... Um, we they Daniele and my mom kind of watched us as we ate food, which uh-huh. felt so weird. And then we sat in front of the TV. Did they ask questions like kind of. of like did Daniele say to Kirsten like what do you do and oh no they'd already met oh okay. Then we went into the living room. We watched the end of Royal Tenenbaums. Mm-hmm. My mom, I I think she's brilliant. She is. I think something's going on now where like she's mm-hmm. watched so much TV, both like consciously and subliminally that. Mm-hmm. Because she keeps it on while she sleeps. Right. Mm-hmm. That she literally knows everything. So <laughs> the end of Royal Tenenbaums was on and my mom literally, she couldn't have told you what it was called. She couldn't have told you who directed it or what any of the actors' names were, but yeah, yeah, she yeah. knew all the lines. Uh, she would literally say the lines before they'd happen and I'd be like, oh, what I are you doing? Love I was like, that. this is so wild. Oh, that's wonderful. So that, I mean, it both I was amazed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And scared for her, but... Uh-huh. So the next day, we uh, we went to the shop and got potatoes because mm-hmm. in the end, the wrong potatoes had been purchased, mm-hmm. but to be expected. Right. So we went and got potatoes that are appropriate for mashing, and we made the mashed potatoes, which was great. We went over to Sharon's. <laughs> I was going to wear a fancy outfit, but I opted not because I just knew it was going to be like a very casual moment. Uh-huh. And it was really nice. It was just, it was me and Kirsten, mom and Daniele, uh-huh. and then it was Jill, who you know, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah. Who's the daughter of, like, that famous actress from the 60s? Yeah. Can't remember. Can't recall it either. And then Sharon. Her daughter's not there. And then um, Pico and his dad, Wakash. Uh, Pico. Let's, Pico's last name again is... Well, he goes by Alexander. Oh, he's going by... He goes by Pico Alexander. Right, right. That's he's in movie star now. Everyone. Well, he's in movies. We're going to have him on the podcast. A movie star. We knew him when. He's in a play right now called, like, The Portuguese Kid or something with Jason Alexander. Should we go see it? I don't like plays. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So then um, we ate the food. We went on the walk. Max and Maria and Henry were there, my nephews and my sister. Adorable. So cute. My brother did a drive-by in his full regalia. Dressed as a cop? Yeah. Dressed as a cop. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, well, in mean, a cop costume. Well, he is a cop. So he had gun, taser, <laughs> hot, bullets, hot, hot. baton. Oh, get in me. All of it. Uh-huh. It was crazy. Sex. Every, so everyone was into it. Uh-huh. Super and then he it. left. We did our walk. Then the best part of the night. Oh, interesting part of the night. Pico invited friends of his over for like 10 minutes who were this hair. Do you know John Barrett? The hairstylist who would come over to like Josh Lair's. Yeah. He has the boutique at Bergdorf. Oh yeah, I know John. And he came with a with a woman named Sheila Marie. <laughs> I love that name. Which was I love two first names right away. Phenomenal. Uh uh-huh. anyways. And then and Pico was like, These are my friends. Uh-huh. Oh. Because I guess John had worked sort of on this play as like Hair. Yeah, one of the ladies' hair peoples. Mm-hmm. I wish I could remember stuff. It's okay. And then... Um, we meet so many people. My mom and Sharon did, like, the best skit where they kind of started talking about really horrible clients or, like, <laughs> people who come in the shop and, mm-hmm. like, obsessively ask for a thing that they won't pay fully for. Uh-huh. And so my mom got up and did an impression of them, which, uh-huh. like, still I'm laughing about. Because uh-huh. she was, like... Full of tears. Like, people who come in and go, ooh, oh, <laughs> I like I like these. <laughs> Could I have these for maybe two fifty? Mom's like, well, they cost five hundred, so <laughs> that's the price. <laughs> and they're, but they're like, no, we can just barter. Oh yeah, they I think like, they like, can like like it there in India. Uh huh. It's yeah. not gonna happen. Just so in then, Calcutta. Uh-huh. Ma, so then Sharon talked about how people will come up to her and literally be like, start putting cash on the counter. Uh, uh-huh. Like they'll be like, so this thing. <laughs> I have $500. And she's like, well, it's 900 And she'll be like, well, you'll need 500 more. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And also, the Hamptons are so they real. talked about how people um, will come in with pictures of, like, guest rooms on their iPhones uh-huh. and be like, can you, go in there? can you look at this room for me and oh, tell and me? touch them like that? And no, no, no. And tell oh. me what you think. Uh. And then they'll, like, turn on the phone and start scrolling back. Sharon did an impression of this. And uh-huh. she was like, I will literally look at them and be like, I don't know how to... I can't visualize unless I see it in real life. Meanwhile, my mother will just look at be like, okay. And, like, look at the phone, suggest colors, suggest furniture and lamps. Wow. Oh, yeah, full crazy. For free. For free. Yeah, my mom's nice. Well, she's also... She, like, you know, she can chat until she doesn't want to talk to somebody and then it's over. Well, I the thing she does that. is she sits at her table with yeah. the paper. She's reading the paper. People right. come in. She yeah. doesn't bother them. They'll no, look no. around and if she catches their eye, she'll be like, let me know if you need any help. Yeah. I've right? Seen it. Yeah, yeah. Because the worst is when people come up to you and they're like, do, do you see do anything you mean... you're interested in? Yeah, yeah, can yeah. I help you? Yeah. I hate that. I hate that. Everyone in New York City does that. How was your I'm always like, leave me alone. Well... I had, so on Monday night, I guess, of this past week, I'd like chewed a cuticle and then I was in, I had, I was teaching class the next day at Bard. And then like Wednesday, I was like, my finger hurts. (laughs) And then I, in 2010, I had staff on this thumb from Uh doing the same thing, from like chewing it, being on a dirty rehearsal room floor and being Uh like, and then it turned black back then. What part turned black? What turned black? Underneath the nail and all of this. Like it was like a black boil went on it. Boil? Or something. Like elevated? Oh, yeah. And under. It was interesting. Uh, it looked could like... It, could it have been pop? You know, in the upside down when, like, the stringy, like, veiny black is yes. ha- It looked like that. So, um, I was having the same feeling now in this finger. Like, it's like a sharp pain where you can't quite sleep because it feels like someone's sticking a needle okay. in your finger uh-huh. with your heartbeat. Uh-huh. And I was like, well... 
So I went to it, this urgent care in Which Greenpoint. One? Oh, Greenpoint. I don't okay. know. Uh-huh. And I sat there for half an hour, and then they were like, sorry. And there was no heat. They were like, sorry, the what? heat's off. I, whatever. Okay. I was like, it's okay. I'm exhausted. And they're like, sorry, your computer system shut down. So I was like, that's all right. So then I went down to City MD, which was wonderful. Immediately had a full Kiki with like was the full staff. Was it also in Greenpoint? No, it was just a block down. Oh, that's nice. Um, beautiful. Looked like I was in Miami. It was really hot in there. Everyone was wonderful. It just had some really nice chats with people. This is on Wednesday. No, Thursday. We were, oh, on so now Thanksgiving. This is on Thanksgiving the morning. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. What time is it? Ten a.m. I guess. Okay. And then. I met this doctor. She was lovely. She's like, yeah, you have staff. I'm going to put you on this. Um, she was sure of it. Oh, yeah. Right away. She touched it with her bare hands. She was like... You knew about it, too. You knew. I was like, this feels like when I had staff in 2010. Uh-huh. She's like, yep, yeah, it's staff. And she's like, it's not quite big enough for me to pop. But if you want to pop it later, run your fingernail down under this like this and then squeeze real hard right here. And I was like, <gasps> cool. It hasn't turned into something big can enough I, to pop. Can I see it? Um, in a bit. It's wrapped right now. Oh. I don't have to redo it. Oh, it just so. has a little band-aid. Yeah. Okay. It's not a huge deal. Okay. Like, you wouldn't be able to tell I have it. Can we watch you pop it later? It's not poppable right now. Okay. It hasn't got... I think that the antibiotics are now working on it, so it's it's all dispersing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, then I got my script, and I went and got that, and then I went and I needed to work out, because I was like... I have to, you know, I've got to be thin. So I went to the gym, I did cardio, I did my weights, I did my abs. And then um, Jeremy and I went to Parker's and just, we made food, we watched some of the screeners I got. Which ones? I cannot believe that Saoirse Ronan, or whatever her name is, has a career. Like, what? Lady Bird is, it's kind of like if you, like painted with white out on a cardboard. I'm going to see it tonight. Please. Well, I'll just give it to you. You can watch it at home I if already you want. I have tickets at BAM. No, that's too bad. Um, <laughs> Lori Metcalf? Yeah. She's great. And, well, everyone's kind of great except Sersha, who has it. Do you see Brooklyn? Yeah. There's a style of acting she does that I just can't stand. Oh. It's this... It's dreamy. It's acting. Uh-huh. It's like, she's not... The role she right. is acting the part, like I can, I see her removed from it, and um, so Brooklyn was a garbage movie. That like was, one, that was like nominated. It for was Oscars. a hid, yes. But I she hated was that fine movie. in it, and that boy was handsome. That boy was handsome, and she was not great. <gasps> he was on Same. that show, the uh, the OA, the OA. Remember that? Oh, he's like the boy she falls in love with, right? Underground, yes. And in then the he'd gotten like a little bigger by that point. He was sort of pillow bodied, thickened. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, we spent. We just like laughed at, through that performance, and then we're like, "God, that was tedious." And then we watched Mother, oh. and I really, in both of them, I was like, I felt like I was watching. If you gave undergrads a budget to make a movie, wow. and then you were like, "Well, okay, very." The writing's just in both of them, like broad. Is Mother at least fun mm-hmm. to look at? Oh, sure. Well, Michelle Jennifer Pfeiffer. Lawrence is amazing. amazing looking. Michelle Pfeiffer is amazing. The cast is incredible. Ed Harris, Javier Bardem. And they're doing good acting. Kristen Wiig. What? Uh-huh. Why? I knew you were. I knew it. <laughs> oh, She's what? literally in it for, like, maybe all of five minutes and gets blown up eventually, but it's ridiculous. The thing about it... Here's the thing about Darren Aronofsky, and I've said this I before mean. on this podcast. He is a camp filmmaker right camp in that he doesn't know he's camp right 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 right. he is like old school camp like mommy dearest camp where someone's like 
And you, what was with both with that film in particular, the mother I was saying to Parker, I could just picture him in L.A. at a pool, being like, "Okay, so here's the pitch," with right. like his mustache and like just being like, you know, we open on this house, and it's just you know, it's, he takes it seriously. Oh, Queen, she, you know, leave it, leave it to a white straight man to really leave be it like, to Beaver. this is real. You know I mean? Leave it to Beaver. Leave it to you Beaver. know what I mean? <laughs> um, leave her to heaven. Um, that's a movie with Gene Tierney, I think. All yep. right. Obscurity. I, well, I can do, you know, old Hollywood, what have you. So watch those, you know, underwhelmed. And then we had this wonderful, we made some Cornish hens, all that. We had this really great pie from Bakery, which was delicious. It's called, <laughs> yeah, it's called Bakery. Is that what it's called? How is it spelled? B-A-K-E-R-I. Uh-huh. And when you go in there, they're like, hi, welcome to Bakery. <laughs> <laughs> what kind what, of bakery is it? What country are we looking at? I know fans, expensive. Are there We're looking any... at like expensive, like organic ingredients. Are there any kind of accents above any letters? Above the A? Is there an umlaut? I don't remember okay. any of that. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, and that was, that was it. And then... And then what did I have to do to get over those films? I watched some. Mo- I watched Mommy Dearest, another. Oh, you camp went back film. to. I had to go your... back and watch, and then today I'll rewatch L for like the sixth. Mommy time. Dearest is like your uh, your baby blanket. Yeah, it gives you comfort. Yeah, it really. We were Jeremy it's, and we were leaving the house ragged. yesterday to go. Oh, go get our hair cut and. I like, was like actually cut by a person. Oh yeah, I went. See, I got it done. It is nice. Thank you. Who did that? Um, my friend. David uh, Ball. No. Oh. Desiree Fiorentino, and I highly suggest everyone getting their hair cut by her. She's incredible. And... Yeah, you guys look nice. Yeah, yeah. She did a really great... Oh, she's... This... In a month is when this will be able to be shaped. She was like, wow, you really were just cutting it yourself. And I was <laughs> like, uh-huh. And she was like, can I deal with that you don't have a transition between... I knew it. The, the spaces. <laughs> and I was like... I said, well, what do you think? She goes, well, it bothers me. And I was like, yeah, go ahead and, and, and fix it. And then today I woke up and I looked in the mirror and I thought, I look like Mia Farrow. You do. Thanks. It's nice. Thanks. Remember I tried to describe it on the last podcast. What my hair looked like. The non-transition. It was just, the well, cut. when I went in for, uh, for Bridget Everett's show, which I can't, I hope it gets picked up and I'm on it. Michael Patrick King said... Did someone just shave the sides of your head in the elevator on your way up here? <laughs> nice. we, we had a good laugh about it. He felt comfortable with you. Oh, immediately. Because immediately I was like, hey, queen, love your work. And he was like, girl, thank you. Yeah. I was like, you look crazy. Yeah, he, he, was like, he was like, what's going on with your hair? Girl, you need a job. Um, <laughs> um, so, but before we were leaving to go get our hair cut, I was like, I need some background music. So... I would just put on the opening of Mommy Dearest, which that opening music by Henry Mancini and like the alarm clock going off and she is like, "Eh," and she like hits it with a white gloved hand and she like gets out of bed, rolling her shoulders. I mean, I, it's all burned behind my retinas. Like Samara from the ring has like, it scorched it into my brain. Samara. Is that Kate Kate Blanchett? (laughs) Oh, the ring. The I ring. love the idea that Kate Blanchett has played so many amazing roles, and one of them is Samara in the ring. I thought maybe with, that was her name in Naomi Lord Watts. of the Rings. I don't know what her name is. I mean, Kate Blanchett's really had the career I that I would have if I was an actress. Yeah, I'd be like, oh well, this season I'm playing the goddess of Can death. Can you imagine you like in a blonde wig over a birdbath, being like? 
Find the ring, Frodo. But absolutely. You know? Can you not imagine it? It's really more of the question. Like, it's so... Everything she's done, it's so... Well, it's also we have, like, a kind of baritone and yeah. a form of acting that is believable and arch all at the same time. Okay. You know what I mean? Well, it's arch what she's going. It's very, like... Yeah, it's this thing I just can't... Oh wow! I I'm I'm curious to see what Sersha does next. It's I, it's a real. I feel like I have to see her on stage. Uh-huh. It's like a, I'm like I want to see you on stage. I want to see her talk in her own language so we can just like not understand what she's saying. Sir, is, she's from New York. No, she's from the British Isles for sure. No, she went to school in New York. No, she's not. You should just do an interview from her, like cray cray accent. She's for like, or should hey for la ha, or hey for ha. Oh, maybe that's what's going on. And she's just so she's focused an on an American accent and yeah. whatever she thinks an American is, uh-huh. that it ends up looking like a, like a piece of cardboard that you put white out on. Uh-huh. Like just real. She comes like, from whatever that place is where people are named Sersha, but it's spelled sour rise. You know well, what it's I mean? Gaelic. You um, know, don't, speaking don't of like me. other languages, I tried to listen to the new Bjork album today mm-hmm. and you know, people really love it. So I'm sure you'll send me hate mail, but wow. I was like, I liked this when it was Vespertine. It was, it was, it's like the same. I'm just not familiar enough with Bjork to well, comment I, I, on I, I do love her. I think, I think it's kind of like you're a Tori Amos, a Bjork or a PJ Harvey and I'm a PJ Harvey. Like oh. she has a different sound on each of the, al- like she, she pushes herself up, like, to the next realm of hell in each of her albums. Right. And I appreciate that. There's no... It's not just, like, here we are again. And, um... But I'm also... My taste isn't light when it comes to music. No. I don't no. like any of them, particularly. <laughs> you really don't. Well, you prefer... Do you like any contemporary music person? Hmm. Oof, it's hard, right? Madonna. Sometimes, no. Sometimes <laughs> I like a, a particular song. There are a few mm. Tori Amos songs I love. Absolutely. How could you not? But then many that I'm like, leave me alone. Oh, like, for sure. Can you stop? Yeah. yeah. This is too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care for anything PJ Harvey. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We diverge. And then Bjork, there's some stuff I like. Uh-huh. But what about other? Weren't don't you like like do you like Carly Rae Jepsen? No. Epson? What's her name? Carly Rae Jepsen salts. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. Someone should really have like a photo of her on like an Epsom salt box. It'd be a or good just meme. her dissolving in a bathtub. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Carly Rae Jepsen salts. Yes. Flotsam and Jepsen. Mm-hmm. Um, salts. Salts. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, do you like her? I feel like no. if we're in a car I admire Beyonce. <gasps> sure, sure. I have respect for her. Yes, we all it's do. An ex- it's an extraordinary thing she's doing. Yeah, yeah, we all have respect for her. Um... I don't own any of their albums or anything. No, no, no. You know, I've on nonstop. I've just been listening to Island Life, Grace Jones. Oh wow! That's what I listen to when I work out. I've been listening to that about for a month straight when I work out. I just listen to that album. Interesting. It's a great album. Oh, what it's have I wonderful. Been listening to? Well, I've been listening to that last track of the Bernstein Peter Pan over and over again. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Yeah, but it's really. I did I tell you how it's the. It comes from his Chichester Psalms. Yes, yes. That melody. Well, 
he did Peter Pan first. <laughs> did he? And then he put them into, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. He took the melody. Yeah. Well, it's gorgeous. Thank God he reused it. What a genius. And so handsome Truly. when he was younger. Very. Would have kissed him. Have Oh, you have to listen to the interview of his kids on the Alec Baldwin podcast. Oh. Did it's, they say he was bi? Yeah. I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one thing I care about. And it's, was he by? I think that was part of the discussion. They were very, it was mm. nice. It was really nice. Have you ever listened to Mike White on Fresh Air? Mm-mm. Terry Gross interviews Mike White. I love White, Mike White and so much. And he starts sobbing about his father on the radio. It's incredible. I'm so glad that and I And Terry was... Gross is like, um, are you okay? She's like, oh, yes. <laughs> I love him so much. He's such a genius. I am so grateful I was sent my two favorite films of last year, which are Get Out and Beatriz at Dinner. You they, also got live action Beauty and the Beast. Did you, get? <laughs> Did you watch it? No. I can't wait. No, I have I can't wait to discuss I, it on air. I know. Well, I really, I was on the subway and I laughed again till tears thinking about when you said, wait till you see him stomp on that cabbage. I gasped. Uh, I, I gasped. <laughs> I really, I really, when you, I, I recalled it and it made me laugh. It's so good when you said that. Um, I'll look forward to that, and I'll look forward to um, Wondra Woman, which oh, you saw, right? That's so wonderful. Okay, great, and then we'll get to discuss it. Okay, so now, um, listeners, we're going to take a quick break. Quick break. And when we come back, we'll be with the most and... famous American countertenor, Anthony Ross Constanzo. I think it is true. true, actually. Is David Daniels still singing? We'll oh. find out when we well, come back. He's... There's... <laughs> Yay! I hit a high note, which is like the foreshadowing of the counter tenor, which I discovered recently. Oh, here we go. Oh, but like, not even still in your head voice. No, like, it was just like... Full belt. Full belt. I was a Broadway child. Button. How old were you? 14? I was like 12. Okay. Here yeah. we are with Anthony Roth Constanza. <laughs> we were listening to a commercial he did for Court when you were how old? 12. 12. 12. Well, you sounded wonderful. Like an 8-year-old girl. And, in, and indeed. <laughs> and I you still like do. like an 8-year-old girl. And <laughs> you still do. Oh, my God. And I've also just watched Reed and Anthony dump cream into their matcha tea, which has made me It's sick. not matcha tea. What kind of tea is it? This is a this is like a Japanese green tea, like oh. a loose leaf that we brewed in the Wedgwood teapot, <laughs> which because I put out because I put out my nice this china for Jack is and well Reed. Well appointed. We've been to a dinner in this apartment with like fourteen people. We were, and Anthony made a wonderful multi-course meal Did and you hear- that cake. Did that Reed and I talk talked about, about for a week. I heard about it on the podcast. Yeah. I was very excited. I'm honored. It, it was, was delicious. It was delicious. My God. My Come back for water. more cake. If it you was, want more cake, you we'll know, throw oh, you a dinner I try to never eat cake, but, well, you know, my birthday's February 1st. Where okay. are you going to be? I'm going to be in Philadelphia, but yeah. I can maybe come back for the night and make you cake. My birthday is December would be like 17th. would do. So Facebook. Wait, when is it? December 17th. That I'm here for. Oh. I have been getting Facebook yes. alerts since September that your birthday's coming up. <laughs> I'm not kidding because, because Reed and I clearly, my life only exists in a Venn diagram with his. Uh-huh. I'm just thinking about the cake that's ripe for Reed. And I mean, I don't know. I feel like it has to White. have... 
Well, no, it has to have like a. I was thinking like a ginger, a, like a ginger angel food. Yeah. And white. then like a white with a touch of spice. mustard color icing, but that's not mustard flavor, obviously. No, but it's like a some, like a, a holidays lemon. color wow. icing. Do you know what I mean? Interesting. And a then we do, and with then a we do like a mint green icing juxtaposed. Like I feel like this that, is pretty. That's mm-hmm. what. I, yeah, I understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, um, Anthony, hey, welcome have, to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. So we're much so I'm happy honored. That you're here. I'm thrilled. This is very exciting for me. It's very exciting for us. It's we like, love you. It's We've like only our reads known you forever, and I've only just. Well, met I you. mean, not well, but I have known you since when was that? Mm, Eighty nine, two thousand eight. Close enough. But I feel like we've all connected recently, which has been very, it's been a a reinforcing thing in my life. Has it? Yeah, because I, you know, I really connect to you both as artists and Mm. then as people. And then now I've been listening to the podcast and I have to tell you, I was um, in Houston, Texas doing an opera just like last week. And I had to, I didn't get a car. I was just biking long distances. That drives me nuts. Did you have a helmet? Yeah, I did have a helmet, but I don't wear one in the city. Which you should read. Read, but, but read. I have a My solution God. for us. They make yeah, yeah. a foldable cardboard I'm helmet. A what? Cardboard. <laughs> foldable um, cardboard. And how well does that work? When it you're works hit by a real well. Truck? No, no, it's like no. they I drop saw this on. beautiful helmet at Paragon the other day that fo- that collapses into a flat thing, and it looks like it's from Tron. I know, but that's not. It's th- maybe too. It's th- all expensive. But it, and it's also it doesn't actually. How much is it? A hundred something. I will get it for you for Christmas. No, no, My no, no. Because actually, oh, right, I right. want one of those just very, very minimalist kind of. I don't remember what the company is. Burn, I think B E R N, and they make they have a little bill, mm-hmm. a little bill. Is that the kind visor? of used? Yeah, that's the kind that's of helmet That's what I want. Just okay. plain old plain. You guys, you can't do your city biking thing without a helmet. I feel like it's foreshadowing that we're even recording this on the podcast. You guys, I've, I mean? I've had a city bike accident. Oh, Who I hasn't? I haven't. But I city biked to your house across those cobblestones, which was really like I had to let noise out. I thought yeah. people probably thought I was crazy because no. I was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I let a lot of noise out in my apartment where I practice. Well, singing. you must that's, because that's scary. you but have to wear masks. Do you get knocks at the door? I have occasionally, but it happens more when I'm in a hotel because they have mm. thinner walls. And what happens in the hotel? Because for people who don't know, for listeners who don't mm. know. Anthony counter- is America's most famous countertenor. No, a, a <laughs> countertenor is a boy who sings like a girl, just in simple terms. Like I sing all in head voice or falsetto, and well, I can you talk about the- do a mix. I sometimes do a mix. When no, you get down right. there, you do a chest. You're right. You're right. It's like that's true. I've heard, I've heard you do a, like a musical theater thing down a little bit more. Really? Uh huh. No, Jack, have you? Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> when you would do when you when I went on when I when you took over and we were playing Christine Daae for a week. Remember? When we heard you sing the song, will come out tomorrow. <laughs> right, exactly. When you heard <laughs> court. All right. I do use a chest occasionally, but mostly yeah. I sing in a head voice falsetto, uh-huh. which you demonstrated so beautifully on the last podcast. Please don't. Thank you. So listen. Reed thinks I'm. Reed thinks my voice is hideous, but a lot of people think my voice is really beautiful. You know what? Reed. I think that it is agile. Yeah. And I think that it, it has volume. Yeah. It's something well produced. Here? It's well produced. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Oh, wait, but you were saying when in your hotel room? When I'm in my hotel room, because I sing and it sounds so much like a woman opera singer. Mm. What happens is people will knock on the door occasionally, very angry because sometimes <gasps> in a hotel I do it late at night. I don't really care, <gasps> and I'll say to them, 
I know, I hear her too. She's yes. driving me crazy. Oh, that's <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. Yay. They're like, mm. and then I kind of open the door so they can peer in the room, mm-hmm. and no there's no woman. There's no woman. And I'm like in a robe, you know what I mean? Mm. With chest hair. Yes. And like, they're like, yeah, I can't be wow. here. Wow. And I try and do it in that has, like pizza order. Has that ever, oh yeah, when I do my straight male pizza order, and has that ever then also turned for you where it's like a guy who's like, can you not sleep? And you're like, well, that woman, the way she's singing, do you want to come in? Do you want to have like want to take tea bath? in her underwear? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't do you want to take a bath used, together? Guys have asked me before if I can like mm. sing high notes while we're having sex, and I'm Are like, you serious? Like several. What? <laughs> I've, I've been like, like, as why? I'm like, I don't think that you would enjoy. Like, it's very loud. I don't know if people know yeah. this because for the dance community, like, I don't know if they know that opera's all acoustic. There's no microphone, so the Met yeah. has four thousand seats. You have to be able to fill it. So it's not always the size. I could fill but it. It's, I think you could because yeah. you have a lot of cut. Because your Listen, voice is that's well the, what's the word they use for you often? That they this is true. I was quoted in the New York Times because I ta- I was having this interview with this guy and I was like, people use your paper always uses the word penetrating. They've used it like four <laughs> times. And then he fact checked me in the Times. He's like, actually three. And I was like, no, there's. I'm sure there's a fourth. Was it with Zach Wolf? No, it was with whom I love and I went I to college love with. Zach. I love Zach. I love him. I love his brother so much. But no, it was Conrad? with. Conrad Wolf is oh, Zach Wolf's little brother. Look at that. Anyway, no, it was with a, a, a Eric Grode, a theater right. writer. Anyway, penetrating. That's what your voice is. We should. We have a lot of really is, Jack. Yeah, I really yes. is. Yeah, um, it is. It's been weaponized. Um, so, so wait. So, oh, so people ask you to sing. As high and as loud as you can when they're when no. I want to be. I want to be clear about the fact. I want to hear what the sentences these gentlemen say. Oh, you want to add what they say? I'm just saying, loud is not something to be fetishized because I feel like in America, in We're the opera loud. scene, we we fetishize the loudness because you know there are these big orchestras, and in fact, that is not so interesting. It's like getting your leg extra super high. It's right. not always the most beautiful thing. Sometimes right. it's impressive, but. You want to be beautiful above all. Unfortunately, I'm just impressive. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what? Tell, the sex thing. I oh, wanna, the sex I wanna, thing. I just can't believe it's. It's. I guess it's like if someone's sleeping with a dancer and they're like, "Can you go into a split while we're having sex?" Like, or something. You know, like if you've ever like, head. if you've ever hmm. been around someone who has like an extremely low resonant voice, it's nice hmm. to kind of put your ear against their chest or their Absolutely. back and just kind of feel that feeling. Yeah. That's Anthony doesn't like it. No, but I've there there are other things you can do with a low resonant voice. But so what <laughs> I'm saying is that there's like a high I don't know, people get they're like, you sing opera, can you do this special thing that you do for lots of while, people but just for me while, in the bedroom? In, while engaged in sex. Like it's come up while you're in the middle of yeah, sex. Yeah. That is so bizarre. It'd be kind of it's like if someone asked strange. me to do a monologue in the middle of it. Can you imagine? I'd be like, well, do you want to hear my Blanche Dubois? Would you do it, though? <laughs> um, if that person was also from theater, and we could laugh about it. I remember I was once with this guy who had been an actor, and then he was working for a... What's it called when you take all that money? Hedge fund. And... <laughs> um, he, and we would laugh a lot about... I remember, like, us having sex once, and somehow, like... Bernadette Peters came up and we just started laughing while having sex and we were talking about like Gypsy and we, I, you know, probably moved on to Carol Channing. Does and... it stop? What do you mean? The, the sex, sex part. 
No, no, we were kept having sex while laughing about, you know, we were, it was, I can so hold many things at once. That sounds funnish. Do you encourage people in general to laugh while having sex? Well, that was back then. And now I would say I was in a kind of wilder time, perhaps, too. I was 23 or 24. I don't know. I mean, I was younger. Mm-hmm. So, and as I've wizened and turned into something harsher, um, I don't know what I encourage in the intimate way. Mm-hmm. I don't think I encourage anything except, hopefully, intimacy. I'd right. say in a post-30s sex uh, life, I think intimacy has been more of the thing that I've been more right. curious about. Especially because gay men are so wounded. So yeah. intimacy is so... It can be so performative or so shut down or so... You know, like, I've definitely been in experiences where I've been like, we're not in a movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, let's just, you know, where that, when that changed for me, because I used to be someone who's like, we're in a movie. And then it changed, especially after my mother died. It was like, when you see someone die, it's like, what's, what's life? We got to do I'm this. more interested in life. Yeah. I mean, are your parents I, alive? My parents are alive and they're both psychologists. Um, oh, which is useful to me. My dad's parents were both psychologists. Really? They're dead. Um, um, and your father is nothing like Anthony. Exactly the same. They're exactly the same. <laughs> my dad is a famous that. countertenor. Can you imagine? He lives in a well-appointed apartment <laughs> yeah. in the West Village. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so amazing if that was true. I feel like what my role today is, mm-hmm. is to get the listener to know more about both of you because you're always so generous and talking to your guests. I don't think they but know. No, I have a quest, no, so Anthony, I have you're a... not going to top us in this. There's no way. I've been with you where I, where I have definitely watched you flip it, where I'm asking you questions and I start to narrow in on something. And then wonderfully, because you're smart and know that people want to talk about themselves, you are able right. to spin the questions back. So I won't... I have to answer today? I you're going to have to... You're gonna have to answer some. This is not well, a this biography. Is gonna be a dialogue. Okay, I understand. You know, this is gonna be. We're gonna be intimate, right? And well, we're gonna share. But I want to know. I, can you just quickly, just so we have a little bit of context, yes. go from like your birth to now in one minute? I was born in North Carolina um, to two psychologist parents. They taught at Duke University, and I started taking piano lessons. I was terrible. My piano teacher said, "Listen, you're bad, and you should sing." And I was like, "Okay." Started singing. By the time I was eight, I was doing things like you, the Music Man, he the pointed King, to and me. I, like Not you, Jack. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you. You're so good at this. It's like you're well, a pro. people can't see. I know. They're only listening. I know. Um, so, and then I started doing all this theater in North Carolina, uh, and by the time I was 11, I said to my parents, listen, I have done North Carolina, like, I've completed it, and it's time for me to go to Broadway. Very similar to Chase. And just like Chase, and I went to, I went to an open call for the Secret Garden, 500 kids, and I got to the final three, but they said I looked too healthy, and we all know what that means. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I was a little wow. too, I was a little too sort Softing. of, yep. So then I came for the, uh, to audition I for. A place to spend the day. That's from the Secret Garden. Yeah. I don't know that musical at all. Anyhow, go, then I keep came, going. You then, have about have a, 30 seconds okay. left. Then I, I went to do uh, an audition for Falsettos. I got into the Broadway National Tour. That There's led a me. a kid in it? Yeah. Yeah, girl. I don't know anything. Main, really okay. great. 
great show. I hate musicals. <laughs> did it. Um, but then I did a Broadway for like two or three years. And then wow. by 13, someone said, will you be in an opera? And I was like, what's that? I did it. It was Benjamin Britten's The Turn of the Screw. Right. And this, these opera Amazing. people were like, you have hair on your arm, but you sing really high. Maybe you've gone through puberty and, and maybe you're a countertenor. And I was like, what does that mean? I can still sing high? And they were like, yes. So I continued singing as a countertenor. The next year I sang with Pavarotti. Then all of a sudden I found myself in a Merchant Ivory <laughs> film. Yep. And that was really a, like a life-changing experience. Yep. And then, you know, at 16, I wound up at the Venice Film Festival for the premiere of this Merchant Ivory film. And I was seated in Venice next to, at this palazzo where I cooked a meal next to Carol Armitage, who is a choreographer. Right. And she was like, you got to be in my show. And so I went on tour with her. And that was a life-changing experience because I was like singing in this dance show. And then I went to Princeton for my undergrad. And I did this project with James Ivory and Carol Armitage at Princeton. And Carol was like, oh, you're really good at raising money. So then I was the executive director for Dance Company. And I raised $3 million for her in two years. And then I was like, you know what? I need to go to grad school. And I got to get my degree. And I got my degree. And then I started winning competitions because there are all these singing competitions. But unlike dancers, you start like in your mid-20s or early 20s. So right. I won the Met competition. I won Placido's, Domingo's sort of like opera Olympics thing which and then that led to role serious roles and singing at the Met and making my debut and so now I you know unlike dancers we don't join a company we are just vagabonds and we travel around and, and people what houses us. have you sung in Oh, so just do like, do like 15, a, like top a, five, a, top uh, five houses. I don't know. In America, the top three met San Francisco, Chicago Lyric, right. uh, Houston Grand Opera, LA Opera. Uh, name another city. Have I've you sung in there. Oslo? Uh, no, I haven't sung in Oslo. In Europe, it's been like Glyndebourne and English National Opera and Madrid. And, Anywhere in Italy. Uh, Versailles. Paris. And Carnegie Hall. Yeah, and... Par and I Paris love at the, the Carnegie Hall in the, Europe. It's wonderful. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> no, what's the one? What's the French place that the Jean Nouvel just built in Paris? The new concert hall it has birds on. I can't remember. I'm touching your arm because my hands are so cold. That's okay. So I'm hot. very warm. Yeah, you're today. a I'm warm not usually. person. My hands are cold though. So congratulations on your life well, and career. Well, thank you. That was that. There was more that than was a minute. What was so crazy was, was on the way here. I was thinking. How I wanted to say, can you do all of your accomplishments in three minutes? Oh. And then Reed was like, a minute. And I think you did it in two. But I didn't cover any of the interdisciplinary, you know, producering things. Well, no one cares about that. No, it's, <laughs> it's just like where, what's the most important shit? Well, we wanted to, I mean, I, want, I, I wanted to give people like a sketch of a background because I also think what's, I mean, it, all of that can be found online. And what we're doing here today is... You're our friend. We love you. We, we've gotten to hang out recently and get to know each other. Oh, real quick, when you were in Houston, did you get to the Manil? I did because oh. you told me it was your favorite collection. Did you? I went, I reveled in it. There was an amazing well, exhibition. Well, it's not my favorite. My favorite thing about the Manil is the Twombly Pavilion and the Rothko Chapel. And those are perhaps two of my favorite art places I've ever been. Why is it called a pavilion? The Twombly, because it's in this building, and it's it's just, that's all that's in that building. Oh, just Twombly drawings it, and paintings? And some sculptures, and he also had these shutters made that are light-sensitive, that they always move to keep the light exactly the same. Oh, interesting. Inside of And that. the Rothko, if you haven't been, is these paintings, which look sort of one-dimensional, but then all of a sudden they come out at you in other yeah. dimensions, and you can stay there for 30 seconds, or you can and be there for... And he killed himself, uh, 
when they're like magic eye drawings. They're like you magic. Just throw eyes. your eyes out of focus. You can see the Statue of Liberty. That's exactly. Yeah, right. he not, was really good. Not quite. It, it's more like you can feel like hell coming out. <laughs> they were doing a Tai Chi class in front when I went to the Rothko Chapel, and that, it was for you know you just could join in, but yeah. I didn't. It, well, no, I'm I surprised. Either. I'm a natural mover, but I just didn't feel like it. <laughs> you are I a natural mover. I saw Anthony you... in Jessica Lang's show, Stabat Mater, at the Rose Theater, and he did an epic backbend, so, like I've never seen. That's very kind. Like the end of, um, like the end of Sanguinic in Four Temperaments, when oh, wow. the boy like bends back and walks off stage. It was like beyond. It was wow. very like Bart Cook D- style. Singing. No, no, he was singing? not singing in okay. that moment. He was mirroring Mylon Misko. Okay. And I saw Anthony in... What was the opera that you guys saw? Achi Galatea e Polifemo. Yeah. At National Sawdust. And he was... And I remember in that being like, oh, he's a real good mover. Because <laughs> he... Well, he vibrated with the role. I mean, he allowed... You all were so amazing. All three of you were so incredible. And it was Chris Alden. It was Christopher Alden. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, who I've been emailing with. Have you? Yeah, About the summer together. at Bard. Yeah, we're He's going to direct something at Bard that I wish I could That be we, in. as soon as Gideon said he was doing it, I was like, well, Anthony has to be at the show. How far in the future do you have bookings? This week, I was offered a contract in 2022. Oh, wait. That's so five years away. Yeah. What happens in opera is that they book you all up. And then, I mean, you have holes in your schedule that mm. can be filled. Um, but you know things are booked in advance. Twenty twenty two. Yeah. So it's what's the opera? Can you can't say? I can't say. That's fine. That's it's fine. all like verboten. But Medea. <laughs> in twenty twenty two, for all I know, I won't be singing anymore. I'll be a horrible yeah. singer. Like it could right all out. go down. Yeah. It's, can... You're gonna be fine. We'll see. I def. I just know it. You think so? Yep. I'm strong. I'm a survivor. We're gonna talk about <gasps> that today. I think you'll be a baritone by then. You think so? Yeah. I could try it. You, if I, should mm. I do the rest of the podcast? No, no. don't, because then I'll do it. And then we'll both just be, it'll be like, is Kate Blanchett on? No, it's Jack. I mean, when I do a baritone, I sound just like Kate Blanchett. That's about as low down as I can go. Yeah, you are a survivor. We are going to talk about that. Should we talk about it now? I feel like it's Are you ready to get into the pool? Sure. So, and you know, I will also, I'll briefly say in the smallest way, I'm so glad I have health care. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, and I, I did post about it that I was so... In the past, I would have tried to deal with this um, staph infection by just like putting tea tree oil on it and hoping for the best. By the way, by the by, before we go deep, I also had a staph infection because mm-hmm. I was doing a pot de dough with Jared Engel. What? Where he what a dream. I know. I, my God, we talk about I, it every week. I want Jared to, to <laughs> No, it me. was high. It was like high like a kunst. I've never felt so elegant because he would put me down and like put my arms in yeah. and I was it was I was like I get it now <laughs> where did this happen it happened at the players club downtown oh, which yeah. is this kind of scuzzy but kind of chic why on earth I don't know and you but all I can say is that I was machine? barefoot I was bare- <laughs> <laughs> I was barefoot <laughs> he was not lifting me through the machine okay Read. no, no torch lifts <laughs> <laughs> but I was barefoot and we were dancing and then one day my foot was swollen with this black thing and I went into the doctor and he was like you're probably going to lose your foot no I don't believe you and I he drew a line in sharpie on my foot 
So dancers, like, wash your feet. He drew a line in Sharpie he on my foot. He said, you're probably... No. Who is said, this doctor? He said, he was like, if the inflammation goes above the line that I just drew, you need to, like, go to the emergency room immediately. And what it, what script did he put you on? I don't know. Like, Keflax. Oh, yeah. Some serious yeah. antibiotic. Mm-hmm. So, just be careful. Stones, vitamins. <laughs> but I, I did the pot to do with Jared Angle again at the Nantucket Festival. You did? I did. This is so magic. It is Are magic. you singing whilst dancing? Yep. And he lifts me while I'm singing and everything. This is the fantasy that men have when they come to sleep with you. That they're going to lift me while I sing? They're going to lift you while I sing. I don't think so. I don't know. I think they're probably having a, a, a more close contact. If you haven't written in to the show yet, to the email, uh, yeah. please write in with your sexual fantasy about me. Oh, uh, yeah. Because we'd love to read them. Interesting. Yeah. Well, the impetus for today's episode is that... Um, moving so, moving and, right And along. now let's just do sex and death. So here we go. Yeah, That's anyways. it. All, after all, it all comes down to sex and death. I requested that we interview Anthony on this episode because the deadline for signing up for Obamacare is in a couple weeks. I don't know when this will air, but I think it's December 15th. And it's, it is important that we have health insurance in this day and age. And we're very lucky to live in a time where it's available to us. And also important that you see like a healthcare advisor to help you get like the best deal, which is something that luckily I have done. And also now Anthony has I just re-enrolled on my Obamacare. Jack is lucky enough to get health insurance through Bard College. But something, I feel like Anthony's kind of like a mirror, some kind of refracted mirror image of myself. Because we both have this same kind of childhood singing experience. And then other things also, but we both experienced having cancer early on in life. Yeah. And I don't know if people know that Reed was a countertenor. Like, this is an important point to me. Okay. Right. And also a boy soprano. Right. And knows a tremendous amount about music and could tremendous. sight read much better than me. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's, he's sight read sight music. Reader. Anyway, but we both, you more recently have gone through cancer, but we've That's both right. gone through cancer. So I, I feel like I'm going to tell my story. Uh-huh. It's less harrowing. I don't know about that. That's true. But uh, it's, it's kind of it's dire. Yours is your, your story when you told it when you were <clears> sitting at we Elephant Castle. It was we. Were, it was a, both a, a jaw drop into the roast chicken salad. Um, that's a good salad. So I was. I have this voice teacher who I've had for nineteen years, whose name is Joan Patno Jardell, and she's kind of like a diva of old scarves, perfume. Yeah, she's wonderful, serious. And she'll say things like, "Anthony, you must remember that." Life is short, but opera's long. Mm. And things like that. Or, or she made the mistake of saying, these are the famous stories right. to me once, like, open the back of your throat, open the soft palate. It's like, come on in, boys. Oh my God. And I would say, no, Joan, that's not. And she would say, no, it's like, come on in, the water's fine. Yeah. She really does oh, talk like this. Yeah. Okay. yeah, but she's fabulous. I mean, eventually I explained it to her and then we laugh. But she, so she, in one of her sort of fits of, of, you know, real fervor. She said to me, Anthony, I think you need to go to the doctor and you must ask why it is you turn your head to the left when you sing. Oh my God. And I was like, what are you talking about? She was like, I think it has to do with your thyroid. And she just sort of pulled that out of thin air. And I was like, she's a crazy woman. 
And I went into this doctor. This part of the story, we did not know this Reed is incredible. and I didn't know that. And yeah. you've met Joan now. So and you've met amazing. Joan. Yeah. And we went She's to a full witch. She's full. Yeah. I mean, full yeah. of a lot of things. But she, I went to this doctor, Dr. Corvin at the time, who I was going to, and the one who was there when Joan Rivers died. Right. So Dr. Corvin was like, felt around my thyroid, which is right below your Adam's apple. And she was like, I think it's fine. But if you want, go get an ultrasound. So I went and they do like they do on pregnant women. I got an ultrasound and they were like, oh, you have a cyst, but it's fine. Everyone gets a cyst on your thyroid. It's like a very common thing. But if you want, get a biopsy. So I went and got a biopsy. This is so interesting that you continued pursuing things. I just was like, you know that, sorry. (laughs) Excuse me. You know that little voice in your head when you're like, should I really ask about my thyroid? Because she's crazy. And like, I don't, I was like, no, but I'm gonna. Because I'm, the Jewish part of me was like, let's do this. You know, let's go full hypochondriac. Wow. So then I got this needle, this 12-inch needle yeah. that they stick into your throat. Careful. And it's like putting it into an M&M because the cyst is yeah. hard on the outside, but soft and delicious on the inside. Oh my God. And they suck out a little piece of it. And then, I would, and then I was in, I was at school and at Manhattan School of Music. And my mother called me because for some reason they called her. How old are you? Now? I'm like 26, 25 okay. or 26. And I was working with Visionaire, which is this one wonderful yeah. publication and they were doing a hundred artists do one minute of sound so I'd set up this whole recording session where I was going to record Claudio Monteverdi's Lasciatemi Morire which is a lament that Ariana sings and Lasciatemi Morire means let me die and it was one minute long and it was like the next day and my mother called me I was coming down a stairwell I remember and she was like you have cancer and I was like okay what does it mean and she's like well the thyroid sits on top of the vocal nerves and it's like attached to them and they have to cut it off of all the nerves that control vocal function. So some people can't really talk well after they have their thyroid removed. So who knows if you'll be able to sing. I was like, okay. And she was like, but you gotta come to North Carolina and have it at Duke where we have a good medical center. And I was like, okay. And and then I was like, but before I come down, I'm gonna make this recording. So there was like this very fraught, like I recorded this thing for Visionaire, Let Me Die in this recording studio with a lute player. And then I flew to North Carolina. But what was great is that I do not look back on this whole experience where they had to do two surgeries because they took out half of my thyroid and they thought it wasn't cancer. And then they were like, oh no, it is. Let's take out the rest. And then there was like, I had to drink radioactive iodine. I went into a room because iodine (laughs) is absorbed only by the thyroid and they make it radioactive. And so I went into this room and there were people in hazmat suits and with forceps and a heavy And you were just in a sweatsuit. And I'm like, I was like in, no, I was in a, I dressed nicely for the hospital always. You didn't put you in a gown for the radioactive iodine? Okay. No. I went into the room and they, they were like... make you like take those clothes off when you left? No, no. Or shower? No, because it's... It, what, it, this is what happened. You go in and they unscrew the heavy lead thing with the forceps uh-huh. and they give you a straw. And they're like, <laughs> drink it. Uh-huh. Is it glowing? No. It's like a little bit of water, like a thimbleful. And you drink it and then you're radioactive for like a year. Yeah. I had to carry a thing around to the airport so that when the sensors went off, we're like, yeah, he's, he's a terrorist. I was right. like, no, I'm just radioactive. Wow. And so, yeah. And anyway, it but did ki- you have to stay in a hospital without anyone touching you for the first three days of that? No, the radioactive stuff, I, I couldn't be more than like, I couldn't be closer than five feet for more than 10 minutes. And, and then, like my dog threw up and all of this well, stuff. Well, then your dog, dog 
killed itself. No, well, my dog did defenestrate, but that was later. Oh, uh, or jumped was. out a window. She jumped out a window. <laughs> it's a, she was operatic. She did. She was on the third floor. We don't oh. exactly know what happened, but Ella, she was a Newfoundland, 130 pounds. Oh, and wow. she just not going to survive that. Oh, one day she just she was like, "It's I'm over. out," but she didn't leave a note, so we don't know what I happened. Think it was really. an accident. I don't know. Well, that's what you think, but I do not. It's like the end of the opera Tosca. Okay. Anyway, so, but I want to say before we go into reads that my parents are both psychologists and they made it really like a joyful experience, which mm-hmm. sounds counterintuitive, but I'm a competitive person. So we do things like in the hospital, they were measuring how much pee was coming out of me. So I would just drink vast like vast amounts mm. of water. I would drink so much water, and the nurse was like, "What's going on here?" And we're you're like, concerned. "I'm a competitive person." Why? I, I mean, <laughs> was this part of some treatment? No, but this was part of like being okay with having cancer. It was just like, let's have fun with this. So my mother was there, and we would like enjoy making the nurse go crazy because they were just bottles and bottles of urine all over the the hospital room. So weird. We had a lot of fun. We did a lot of fun things, and like I look back on it, and there was this moment when the doctor was like. I had all these questions about my voice and would I, and if he did this and could he cut it like this and you know we were into the the depths and at one point he was like listen we could not do the surgery and you will die or <clears throat> but you'll be able to sing for a little bit longer I don't know if you'll come out of the singing but if we do the surgery you won't die and you had to just sort of like you know look yeah, at your yeah. priorities and understand what they were and understand that that's how things go and be okay with it. And I feel like for me in performance and in life, it's been useful. But when you first were told by your mom, who for whatever reason wasn't crying on the phone when she told you you had cancer, she's pulled it together. Did you feel, did you have like a, how did you feel devastated or did you feel, well, how did you feel? I felt resolved. I felt resolved pretty immediately. I was like, what sign are you again? I'm a Taurus. Ah, You know, Grace Jones is a Taurus. Really? And she sings about it in one of the songs. <laughs> she sa- she sings, it's something like, um, Tauruses are stubborn, nothing gets in their way. It's about how she's like, I'm going to love you no matter what. That's, I mean, that's how I am. Jeremy's a Taurus. See, we connect. So, yeah, but Same. I was just very, I was very resolved to make it into, like, we're going to just do the best we can. We're going to do it. So, Reed, when you, <laughs> how did you find out that you uh, had cancer? <clears throat> well... I mean, I feel... And we've alluded to this since we started this podcast. Right, I so thought we were going to do it right away, and then we didn't, and then we're But now seems then, like the appropriate and... time with the Obamacare sign-up coming. Well, you felt a great surge of uh, efficacy in telling yeah. your story around it like this. But, um, so for several years, actually, since I was... I remember the first time it happened, I was in college. I was probably 19 years old, and I had some blood in my stool. And I thought, well, that's odd. And I remember going to a doctor and having them be like, oh, well, it has, it's probably like an internal fissure or this or that. It's nothing to worry about. Fine. It would come and go with great irregularity. So years later it would happen again. And I'd be like, go back to the doctor. Not a problem. Years later it would come again and with more frequency as time went on. So by the time I'm kind of in my thirties, it would come and go. And then Kind of like 33, 34, I started to have like more regular issues. If I flew, I would inevitably be constipated and then it would be followed by an episode of blood. And so finally I I went to, when I was 35, I went to a doctor, this is now 2016. I went to a doctor who was like, well, 
there's probably nothing. It's very uncommon at your age for there to be any sort of problem in the colon. But um, if you are worried about it, here's a list of, uh, what are they, gastroenterologists. So I was like, okay. So rather than continue worrying about it, I went to a man named Dr. Cacciarelli. And he, I told him like, well, I have a kind of family history. My grandmother died of colon cancer and this is happening. And he was like, let's do a colonoscopy, like without skipping a beat. So I was like, okay. So I went into that colonoscopy with not a lot of fear, but also with, in the back of my mind, it felt like a possibility. And it actually felt like if it were to be true, it'd be some kind of relief, because at least we'd have an answer. answer. And when you were getting, I remember when you were getting the colonoscopy, we were in rehearsal and you were like, I, I might have colon cancer. And I was like, I remember you saying it. Like a joke. No, nope. <laughs> you were like, I think it's real. And I would be like, no, you don't. And you would do the thing that you do. And you're like, well, we'll see. Right. Like, and I, and I would be like, no, no, you're fine. <laughs> like, gasping my throat as I like, hur- like hurled my body somewhere. Anyhow. So I went in for this colonoscopy. And after the colonoscopy was over, I remember coming out of the anesthesia. And mm-hmm. I was sort of like, where's the doctor? Like, when am I going to be spoken to? And I saw him as I was sort of like putting my clothes back on. I was like, oh, how did it go? And he was like, oh, well, I'll, tell, I'll talk to you about it on Monday when we get results. Because we did a biopsy. And I was like, okay. And that's when I was like, he, his, his behavior was strange. Right. Dismissive or kind of like distant. So then I left. Harriet picked me up. And I was sort of like, well, that was weird. And then Monday, I went in to meet with him. And without skipping a beat, it was like 8 at night. And I was at his office on 14th Street. And he was like you have a tumor. And he was like, that we need to get you dealing with right away. And I was like, oh, okay. And I immediately felt kind of, I went into action mode. I was just like, okay, we got to deal with this. But I was also just like, I didn't feel devastated. I just was kind of like, oh, this is, this is real now. Now we know what's happening and now we're going to deal with it. And we were in the middle of your show. Jack's going to cry now. (laughs) <laughs> it was also because I was like can I go with you to the doctor and he like each of the steps is like well I'm going to go with you and he was like no and I'd be like please let me go and he'd be like no and then I was like well you have to call me when you get out of the doctors and I remember like walking somewhere on Metropolitan Avenue and Reed called me and he was like well it's not great and I was like like and I was like I'm going to be fine on the phone I remember just being like, don't do it. But it's like, you know, it's like my fan, it's like the, it's so close. It's like, I can't even talk about my relationship with Reed. Did they give you a prognosis where they like, this is... Not right at that moment. So what I could only get from the gastroenterologist was like, this is an excellent surgeon. This is an excellent oncologist. I'm setting you up at this hospital tomorrow, essentially. It was really like, go now. now. And I was like, well... I have a show I have to dance in. <laughs> Which is fine. And I was like, and so, I mean, what if, do you think like there's a scenario where they would do surgery immediately? He was like, well, I just don't know. They're going to have to look at the biopsy and see what stage it is. And then, then you'll be put into the system, etc." So I was like, okay. So I left that appointment and I called uh, Harriet to be like, we have to adjust the fall the next year because i did realize that there was going to be there was adjustments that needed to be made i called jack to be like i might have to have surgery i'll keep you posted uh-huh. i called kirsten and then i called my mom who just cried she didn't even know i had gone in for an appointment to like wow. get a biopsy 
And then, um, but I was standing like on the stoop of St. Vincent's where I was born. So somehow it all felt like <sighs> sort of soothing or strange in this way. So then I went down into the train and I looked at everybody and I was like, does everyone have cancer? You know, like if I have cancer, everyone must have cancer. And I mean, maybe everyone will at some point, but probably. So, so I went home and I picked up Japanese food and Kirsten came and it was very good. And then I felt okay. And then uh, I got put into the system. Oh, I called James Whiteside the following morning to be like, um, are you available on these days? And he was like, yes, why? And I was like, I have cancer. And like, I, you're the only person I can think of who could actually do the thing I have to do in this show. And he was like, yes. And I was like, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, but can I just ask a side question? Like, wasn't there something like a sick joy in calling, like, especially after the worst was over in <laughs> talking to people about it? It was bizarre. I mean, yeah, you'd be like, well, here we go. This is going to be interesting because you don't really know how people are going to react. It was, it was kind of, I don't know that it was fun, but it was interesting. It's Reed really kept interesting. It so private yeah. in this way where, I mean, when, like when he mm-hmm. told me, when he, whoever he told, he was like, and please don't tell anyone. And well, we didn't. it was just about like telling people who needed to know when they needed to know. Yeah. Right. And if people happened to find out, it was fine. I was very much the same way. Because I didn't... Uh, there's something that feels like calling undue attention. Like, I didn't want flowers at my house or the hospital. Like, I didn't want all no, of that no, no, until no, no. it was done. Exactly. You also... You don't want to... You know, you don't want to... It's wanna... like telling someone you have, a, like, your third callback for right. some movie. Right. Exactly. You know, it's You don't want to jinx it. You don't want to jinx it. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. That's exactly what it's like. So anyways, I... I met my oncologist and my surgeon and my radiologist. I think the radiologist came later because I was going to initially do a trial. This story's a little complicated. Do I tell all the things? Well, let's just go through it. Really quickly. Quickly. Because the story was one of those stories where like... Everything went wrong. The worst thing that could (laughs) have happened ended up happening except that he got cured at the end. Right. But along each step, it was like, oh my God. (laughs) Like, it was really like just so funny fucking relentless right so like best case scenario it was going to be a stage one and they could just kind of go in and snip it out and then it was like oh you're fine stage two would have been like a more involved thing and stage three is kind of the same as stage two it's just like they probably have to clip out a little bit more so essentially mine was a stage three which is fine because it's not a stage four and stage four when the cells have now drifted into other organs of the body which we had a friend who had passed the year before who was right. our age right. and we had found out that he had uh, stomach cancer and then he died. Yeah. And yeah. so that was, that also felt like it felt just on the, so haunting in this way through the whole thing of yeah. just being like that. So, so at I mean, that, you went yeah, in. yeah, at that point it, once I had the information about what stage it was and how we were going to fix it, which took about two weeks, then I felt very sort of at ease about it or calm about it, like knowing the plan and knowing some statistics about like my survival rates. And so then it felt like, oh, well, I will likely be fine. I mean, there were possibilities that in the end I might end up with some, I could have ended up like in a colostomy bag for the rest of my life or something yeah. like that. But None of that happened, which is great. Happy endings. So then I um, I had to start, I had to do preoperative treatment, which was chemotherapy, which caused my tumor to get inflamed. 
So the inflammation made me stop pooping because the tumor was right at the intersection between my colon and rectum. So it blocked that little curve. So I, did, I stopped pooping. I had to go to the emergency room and I was like, what's wrong? And they were like, oh, we're not sure because it was not my hospital because I just had to go in the middle of the night. And then I was in pain for another day. I went to my real doctors. They were like, my oncologist knew what was happening. He was like, go to the emergency room again. And they were like, well, we can either put a stent in, and if it's unsuccessful, we're going to give you your colostomy early. Because in the end, after a rectal resectioning, which is the surgery you have to have, they do a colostomy, which is when you poop into a bag out of your abdomen for a while to, to let the rectum heal. So... Um, the stent, I got a stent that night, which felt like a relief. And when I, I pooped and everyone was happy. And then after a week, the stent was no longer working. So then I knew exactly what was happening. I went back to the hospital and I was like, something's wrong. And they were like, great, let's do the colostomy, which was going to maybe happen the week before anyway. So September 1st, I got a colostomy bag. And I don't remember like, I remember like learning about a colostomy bag and being like, well, that sounds hideous. But the actual getting it was like, oh, that's my thing. That's my body. And those are my intestines sticking out of my stomach. And that's fine. None of it felt awful. I can't explain. I like every step of the way. So but the thing with the stent too, I remember I was out of town and, and Reed called and he was like, I was in excruciating pain. I mean, the, he's also telling the story and, and quickly, but each of these <laughs> things was like a lot of pain. Pain for days, goes to the ER, is over there. Then they're like, oh, well, the tumor grew through the stent. We'll take it out when we do your whole surgery, so we're just going to leave it in there right now. Yeah. And then they did, and it was like, he was so exhausted and in so much pain, but he'd be like, but it'll be okay. And I would be like, it's partly how, I think I had so many of the feelings for it, because mm. he was like, it's just the next step. He would just do the next right thing. Yeah. So you got the colostomy bag. So I got bag. the colostomy and was in the hospital for a few more days again. And then at this point, the people in that wing of the hospital started to know who I was, which mm -hmm. was nice. Mm -hmm. And they'd give me better rooms or like be more familiar with me, the nurses. And then... Was the colostomy bag the one where we got you into that bigger no, room? No, that was the resectioning. Okay. The next one. So then I... After a week of having my colostomy... I woke up one morning to go in for radiation, because now I was no longer going to do chemo, I was doing radiation. So I got sequenced for radiation, which is where I'd have to drink a huge amount of water every morning for six weeks, which would move my bladder out of the way, and they could aim the radiation right at the tumor. Wow. So I would be lined up with lasers, and they did little tattoos on my body so I could be lined up every day. And so that was six weeks, and that went by quickly, but a week after getting the colostomy, the <laughs> colostomy itself prolapsed, which means that kind of like a huge chunk of it found its way out. A huge chunk of his intestines flowered out. And it, at first I was like, what's happening? What's happening? And then my surgeon was like, that happens sometimes with colostomies. They're not very stable. And I was like, oh, well, how do I fix it? He's like, we don't. And I was like, oh, he was like, sometimes you can push it back in. You can lay on your stomach and sort of encourage it. And I was like, what? So he did it. He pushed it back in and I was like, okay, so this is possible. So and then... So just for months, you just ended up, like, pushing your intestines back into your body throughout the day. Yeah, so I would... For a while, I just kept shoving them in or holding them in. And then after a while, I'd wear bandages to kind of keep them in when I needed to. But there was really no way of keeping them in, especially if I was standing. They wanted to come out? They wanted out. So, like, I did a... You know, we had, we had a res... Okay, anyways. So then... <sighs> so I was doing that. Then I had my resectioning in December, which was, like, the big moment when they, like, removed, like, eight inches of your mm -hmm. rectum with the tumor. And it all went really well. And then the, the biopsy was really good. It was clean margins. So like there was no more cancer cells. Great. 
But the big incision where they pull out the resectioning, which is kind of like oh, this was fire crazy. oblique on one side, got infected, and then they had to open it up again, and then it had to heal open. Which, which was to also talk about really briefly, we were FaceTiming, <laughs> and I was like, how's your wound going? And he was like, uh, I think it's okay. I wake up in like startling pain throughout the night. <laughs> like I can't really sit up, and it's really hard to walk. And I was like, well, let me see it. And he brought the phone down, and I was like, girl, that doesn't look great. Like, something's going on. And he's like, yeah, I should probably get it looked at. And they were like, oh, it's infected. And I'm going to tell this really yeah. quickly. They picked away his stitches. Oh, glue. And the glue. And then they were like, oh, and all this stuff started to come out because it was infected. And then they just started squeezing it out while he was in, like, like shocking pain and just started, like, sobbing hysterically. And Reed doesn't cry. It just, it was... Like, he went to shock. Yeah. What's amazing about that day was he called me after that experience to be like, I'm running late. I can't remember what we were doing. You were coming over to my house to make cookies. I was going to make cookies. And he was like, I've got to get these knitting needles. And I was like, girl, you got to go home. And he's like, I've just got to get these knitting needles because I'm making my brother's kid a hat. (laughs) And then he calls back and he's like, well, I was in line for 45 minutes at Michael's and I just got on the subway, but the knitting needles are wrong. I got to go back. (laughs) <laughs> After he had been like sobbing in pain and like looks like someone took like a medieval sword and rammed you through. But don't you think that's important in terms of like getting just keep going? You have things. to go on with life, you, and you have to just keep going and focus on the next thing, which is what Reed is incredible at doing. So then I had this bizarre open wound on my oblique for <laughs> so a while crazy. Which, and it took ages to heal because I was also simultaneously doing chemo. Because right after the resectioning, I went into chemo. I had six rounds of chemo. Which made you feel like hell. It wasn't great. And that took 12 weeks. And then when that was over and the chemicals dissipated, that was great. And then I... The only side effects for me were like severe kind of... Well, I mean, exhaustion, nausea, and then neuropathy, which is the weirdest one. Where like I'd get crazy numbness in my hands and feet. And if cold would like touch my face or hands, it would like freeze. So, like, I would have facial paralysis if I went outside. Like, I would walk outside and suddenly I couldn't open my eyes. My lips would go inside my mouth and I had no control of it. None. I'd have to stop. I'd be like, I be, would be walking with Harriet and I'd be like, we have to stop. I can't, I can't open my eyes. That sounds like late Forsyth work. Sure. And how's the neuropathy in your feet now? It's there. Uh-huh. But it comes, you know, it's fine. So then, um, oh, we also did a showing of the <laughs> new piece, and I just want to say, like, he danced so hard. I have a video of it. Danced so hard, doing all this stuff, ponches the whole lot with the colostomy bag on and a prolapse that he'd bandaged back in. <laughs> Amazing. Every like when he had you started chemo when we did. I want you to want me. No. Yeah. You had? When was that? At the kitchen, July, first week of oh, July. No, 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 no. no, But you knew you had it. You did all that dancing while being like, I'm having a hard time. And then when we did this residency showing, yeah, with full class me bag, with everything pushed back in, dancing so hard. I made myself was, a jumpsuit to hide the figure. Brilliant. It was, Thank you. And it, he's, yeah, he is exceptional. So we did that. We got all through that. The surgery happened. It was a success. Everything was healing. All the chemo was great. It was fantastic. I came. <laughs> I have video of when of the last surgery. The last surgery was, which was well. This is interesting. The thing I was looking forward to most was having the colostomy reversed, which is the moment when your rectum is healed enough that they can reverse the colostomy and you can poop out of your butt again. So I was like, I cannot wait for this right. day. This is what all I've been waiting for. And it took you know nine months, and then right before it, I got kidney stones. 
So then I was like, fuck. And I didn't know exactly what it was. And then my surgeon was like, well, you have to get that sorted out before we can agree to do this surgery. I was like, no, no, no. Keep the date. I'll get it fixed. I promise. I like went to the urologist. I had it all looked at. He was like, it's going to be okay. And I was like, we got to do the surgery. We got to do the surgery. So I, I kept my surgery date. Thank God. Did your kidney stones pass? Or they just... Yeah. They passed. Ugh. But I had it, you know, it was like a week every oh night God. around like seven o'clock of like four hours of daggers. But I just lay there and know it was going to be over. So then I had my surgery and and that went well. And I had my own room and... We got you that big room again. Wasn't it the same no, big one we had room, before? No, it was a different room, but it was my own, which was great. And then... Um, I think everything after that's been smooth sailing. But I have video of, well, after they reversed the colostomy, it was real. They were like, you've got to be able to walk. And he was, you know, doubled over because your abdomen, it's like, you know, you've been cut here. All the way through. All the way through. And I'd be like, how's it feel? And be like, it's a lot of pain. And when Reed says it's pain, it's like, it's got to be, you know, something that would kill somebody else. And, um... I have video of him doing like a little petite bar, you know, holding <laughs> onto the rail, the bar railings in the in the the cancer section of of um, Beth Inside, Israel, yeah. holding on and doing like little plies, grand plies, little tendus. Anyways, oh, then I we'll was always a few, have few more days in the hospital. I went home, recuperated again. It was another open wound that needed packing for a few months, that healed, and now everything's now fine. You're I poop, okay. poop right out of my butt. Congratulations. Thank you. With great regularity. And I mean, he really, and we started doing, um, you know, Pilates with Anula pretty soon after that all happened. I couldn't, I watched Well, we were you. doing Pilates right after the resectioning, really. So, like, yeah. when, I, when the colostomy bag was new. Yeah, he still had the colostomy when we do Pilates. And then after it had been reversed, it was only, like, a few weeks after that. I remember watching you go into an arabesque at the wall, and I was like, yikes. It made my whole jaw just tense watching you, like, <laughs> extend your abs yeah. that far. But you were like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get through it. But all this to say, if you're young and you don't have health insurance, reconfigure your finances and get health insurance. Yeah. You can get it for super cheap and you can get rebates back and all kinds of things. Right. But this I would mean, have been millions of dollars. Oh, millions of dollars. And what I ended up paying did was significant for me, but yeah. completely insignificant compared to what it could have been. Yeah, it would have it you would have been in debt forever for the rest of your life. I just wouldn't have paid it. They would have had to delete those bills. There's just no way. I don't think people even do that. You I mean, can. My friend, my you friend gotta, Lindsay like, Clark on the once lamb. had this bill for something and she just called them up. She's like, I can't pay that. They were like, okay. I mean, people can't pay these bills. It's insane. So at any rate. Though it also can, but it can put you into extreme amounts of debt and really carry on. And in, in re- I mean, you see those things where people are doing like a, like a Kickstarter or GoFundMe, you know, where they've like, I've had all these hospital bills and all of this stuff. The the ACA is incredibly important. And the fact that we in this country do not have a universal health care is disgusting. It is insane. There is more than enough. We know we have we have lots of rich friends and people would be more than happy to pay just slightly more. I am more than happy to pay more taxes for everyone to have health care. Me too. 
Absolutely. And also it would make the healthcare <laughs> companies themselves less evil. I just have to yes. tell you this very quick story. Please. I was on my thigh I had to have my thyroid medication. I go to Europe for months at a time to sing. So I was going and I my healthcare my insurance carrier was like we're it was so over time. But my insurance forever. My insurance carrier was like there's a glitch in the system. We know you pay automatically, but it's not registering. Just buy your medication outright, which was $900, and we'll reimburse you. So I said, okay, call the next week. They don't reimburse me. They're like, <laughs> it's not fixed yet. Call in three weeks, and they're like, oh, it's too late now. <gasps> and I was like, what? no, you owe me $900 because you cover this. And they're like, yeah. Uh. I called for eight months, and this is a lesson to everyone. Please do this. Um, Nobody would respond to me. Nobody helped me. Nobody got my $900. So finally, I created a Gmail account, jacobgreenstein at gmail.com. What? Pretended to be a lawyer. lawyer. No. Oh. I wrote to the head of communications for United Healthcare, and I was like, hi, my name is Jacob Greenstein, and I'm writing an article about healthcare for the Financial Times, and I'm using three case studies, one of which is your client. Here's a summary of what happened, and I wanted to see if you'd like to comment. We go to press in one week. <gasps> Amazing. All I did, literally one hour later, I got a phone call from the executive office of United Healthcare, and they're like, is this Anthony Costanzo? We'd like to help you resolve this issue. And <gasps> me, because I'm prepared, right? And this is how you have to play it. I was like, I've been trying to resolve this for eight months, and why is it now? Is it because of this Jason Greenberg that you're calling me? <laughs> it's just because of the reporter that called us the only... So I was like very indignant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like, no, no, we just want to help you. We, you know, we want to get this... And I was like, this is a scandal. Meanwhile, they're writing to Jacob Greenstein at gmail.com. Hysterically. And they're like, you have to get him to sign this form. You can't talk about this without blah, blah, blah. Like mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, well, I'll get him to sign the form. Like, I'm just stringing them along. And then they call me and they send me a check for $900. That's incredible. But sometimes you've wow. got to be wily with the healthcare that. companies. I wow. might, the insurance I had when I was gotten into this situation wasn't great. And they didn't cover specialty medication. So at some point they were like... For the radiation, you're going to need to take this chemo pill to, like, activate the radiation. Uh -huh. And I was like, okay. So, like, I called the specialty pharmacy, and I'm like, I need this prescription. They're like, okay, that's $4,000. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, how much of that is covered? They were like, none of it. And I was like, well, what do you mean? Like, how... What, what do you mean? They were like, it's $4,000. I was like, that I pay. And they were like, uh-huh. I was like, so what you're saying is, like, I will die unless I give you $4,000. I was so irate. And they were like, yes. Yeah. The, the, we have... It, it, I'm so furious that we do not have universal health care. It is insane. It isn't... There is more than enough. There is just... Oh, beyond... Like, there is could, more yeah, than like, enough. Anyhow... Chop off one tiny... Like, let's make one less tank. You know what I mean? It's so... It's just infuriating. So my question for you is, during the cancer... Yeah. Did art make you happy? Interesting. Well, I continued to... Yes. I did a lot of, like, movie watching, but I would also go to shows, which was a bit treacherous initially because I didn't know the sounds that my colostomy bag was going to make. That's initially, true. I had very little control, so it would, like, fart uncontrollably. Mm -hmm. And I would be sitting next to people I knew sometimes, and I'd be like, oh, God... The day it prolapsed, I was in a Barnes & Noble, like, in the reading room at 14th Street, up on the, like, third floor or whatever, and it farted so loud and for so long, you can't even imagine. I was sitting there like, how is this happening right now? As my back Good was air. Like, <laughs> 
I I literally put everything down and left. I was like, what can I do? I can't stay here. Oh, Reed. But, you know, like, we're all the better for it. I have to also say there was one friend of mine who will remain unnamed who, for a stupid reason, wasn't talking to me for, like, a year and a half. And... I had the cancer and I remember I was, <laughs> re- cancer, I, yeah. was I was recovering and he finally called he hadn't called in a year and a half and, and, you let and I was like no I just waited I was like how are you mm-hmm. how's everything mm-hmm. going how's it all and then I was like listen I had cancer mm-hmm. I could be dead mm-hmm. don't be stupid wow. do you know what I mean and and he was like you're right it and was you, great and, and we now? reconciled and now we're really good friends I remember years ago I, I had cut some person out of my life and I ran into a mutual friend of ours and she was like, um, you know, how you haven't talked to so-and-so in a really long time. And I was like, uh-huh. And she was like, well, how would you feel if you found out that she had cancer? And I said, good. Uh-uh. And then I walked away. Wow. wow. Well, you know, it's chilly up in here But the, thing, the, uh, the other point is that you can't treat it all with kit gloves. And when you have cancer, you don't want to be treated with kit gloves. No. You just no. want to have a good time. You want to make things as normal wanna, as possible. Yeah. You want to be straightforward. You want to be serious. I made I it will, fun. I will say that I look back fondly on the time when I was just sort of laid out and got to kind of like have people bring me things and watch movies and this and that. The narcotics were a real plus which is like I never used any kind of drugs or alcohol or smoking nothing so for me to be given all these like incredibly powerful narcotics was interesting and useful and sometimes fun I mean it was very nice I'm not gonna lie I understand why people get addicted but you're not gonna do it no, until I we're don't. in our 60s and then we'll just yeah, clonopin our way out so I'm, I'm already there just a shuffle ball clonopin on the way out <laughs> I'll be um, there with you you guys I love you so much I'm so glad that you both have survived cancer and you're Thank both you. strong powerful yes. queens and we go and we get our checkups we do we get screened yeah. and we make sure it's okay and we I know that I personally there was one aria I'll play it for you Maria Callas singing Ave Maria. I'm not really religious, but it was something about she sings it in Otello. Mm. And I would listen to that. And it was like I had a sort of communing with the music kind of thing. So I can't access that in every performance, but it did sort of deepen Mm. me and what I do and my art. Any experience with Thanatos is like that. I mean, it's we as we began this episode, we were in Eros and then we moved into Thanatos and the the knowledge that death is certain and the time of death is uncertain. What's the most important thing? I don't it's... know. <laughs> <laughs> it's... Well, but you do. You're, cl- you're, you're clear. You're, it's, a, it's a clarifying perspective. We have to end. Um, I, Anthony, we I don't love know you so I'm much. I'm sorry I told that whole grotesque no, story. No, it's important. We wanted to hear it. Reed, it's important. Your we, listeners need to know this. this. We have been skirting around this story since we began this podcast. And it was, and in as is your way, you feel more comfortable when you can share it with someone of a, of a shared thing. That's how it all is. But That's if you what, feel bad that you didn't know Reed had cancer until now, and you're a friend of his, I encourage bad. you to, uh, no, I encourage you to send flowers uh, or baby money, goods. Money, money, anything. Money, 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 yeah. money, money, money. Pretzels. Absolutely. Chocolates. Um, cash. No, cash. I, no, friend, the, it's fine. Everybody, it's fine. Absolutely. I didn't tell you because... I didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> um, we loves you so much. We I say goodbye to everybody. Read goodbye. Goodbye. I'm so goodbye. glad you guys do this. Goodbye. 
Oh, well, we love you so much, Anthony. And I don't feel we had enough of Anthony, but we'll have him on again. That's okay. And my, when his album's coming out? My record's coming out. When is it coming out? In the fall. Oh, oh, perfect. And your podcast will be huge. I'm coming back and I'm going to hop. Oh, on. yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do like in August. Have what you been have on the you? cover of Opera News? Well, we'll see about that. <laughs> Oh, my God.